I believe women don't have enough safe space to embrace their stories, share freely, and lean on one another. And if we don't do this for one another, how will we show the next generation how to do it differently? There are a million reasons we hold back and hide. Fear of judgment, shame, uncertainty, or simple inconvenience. But that just allows the problem to persist, ladies. Let's open up the conversation. No holds barred and no judgment. Let us hear your joys and your pains, your struggles and your triumphs. Truth be told, we probably have far more in common than you'd imagine. Together, we'll create a different experience than what we've come to tolerate. A more authentic and connected experience that triumphs over judgment and falsities. One that gives us all the space to be sincere and unapologetic together. This is me. Selena is a lawyer, wife, and mom. She was born in Nueces County and happy to be raising her four kids in the beautiful city of Corpus Christi. Being the granddaughter of a cotton picker and a first-generation college student when she went to school, Selena was determined to make her family proud. She attended Texas Tech University, where she excelled academically as well as in numerous extracurricular activities. She graduated cum laude with a bachelor's of music. Selena attended law school at the University of Missouri as a Thorogood Marshall Scholarship recipient. Once back in her native town of Corpus Christi, Selena hit the ground running to advocate for people in her community. She has taken on numerous pro bono cases for individuals for individuals that could not afford representation simply because it was the right thing to do. Selena is most proud of working her dream profession while raising four beautiful children. I was drawn to Selena because I wanted to figure out what is that quality that people carry when they are able to first create space for themselves and achieve exactly what they want to achieve, but then turn around and are able to create space for others, advocate for others, enmesh themselves in another person's story. And whether that person is on the right or wrong side of the law, stand up for them and fight for them. And that's something Selena does. She fights for people who often have never had somebody in their corner. This is Selena. Thank you so much for doing this and um, for agreeing to be on the podcast and letting me interview you. I'm really looking forward to getting to know more about your story. I'm very happy to be here. So thank you so much for reaching out. I'm, I'm excited. Where I would like to start is just just reading about you and, and then when we met and learning about what you, you do. And I've said this several times. It's, it's so interesting to me that people that give space to other people, that's always been very intriguing. And I feel like you, you do that. Obviously you've built a career out of that. And I want to know what led you to being able to do that? If it was something that was always inherent, it was something that you observed, you learned, somebody did that for you. And so when you think about that over the span of your life and you think about your story leading up to where you are now, you know, if you could look back at what point, at what age, at what events kind of set you on that path to get to where you are now to be able to give space to other people? Well, interestingly enough, I 
didn't realize my calling to be a lawyer and do specifically my line of work until, oh, geez, um, later in my college career education. I didn't grow up thinking, I want to be a lawyer. I know this is what I want to do. But ever since I can remember, I've always had a strong sense of empathy and wanting and willingness to help people. Um, it sounds cliche, but I've, I've always had that ingrained in me to always want to do good and to be good and and contribute to society. And it sounds a little hokey. <laughs> and <laughs> I may get a, no. emotional at some points, like talking about things because there are things that are really important to me and things that I care about. You know, growing up, you know, my, my mom always, and both my parents steered us in the direction of always, you know, doing the right thing and being good and, and following rules. And my parents are pretty strict in our home, but I'm very much a personality wise, like my mom. And she is one of those that's always um, helping people and doing stuff. And she always taught us, even, you know, when we encountered people that were not necessarily nice to us, or, you know, we would ask, how come this person does this? Or why are they acting that way? And her response to us would always be to teach us, well, they probably have something going on, you know, maybe at home, or maybe they have, um, they have issues or problems. And uh, there's a reason why, you know, they're acting out. So that's kind of been a, I guess, a, a, a mantra, or almost a mentality behind, you know, what I think when I encounter people that have, or, or do sometimes bad things. Obviously, I, I do primarily criminal defense. So I represent people that are accused of doing bad things. Sometimes the things are not so bad, and sometimes they're very bad crimes that they're accused of. But there is almost always behind the accusations and the charge, there, there's a person there, and they almost always come from some sort of background or situation or um, tragic events that kind of didn't make them commit the offense if they did do it, but it almost kind of makes sense in a way sometimes. Um, and it doesn't negate the action, you know, if it's something that they did do, but it's certainly mitigating and should be considered whenever you um, are presenting the case to a court or to a judge. It's funny, my um, college degree is actually in flute performance. Um, I was a band nerd. I haven't, I haven't played my flute in a while, sadly, but that was something that I loved to do was to play my flute. And I loved my band friends and everyone. And it was something that made me happy. So going into college, you know, I'm thinking what makes me happy? And that's what made me happy. And I was very involved in band and college and everything. And then it wasn't until my junior year or so um, that I thought about going to law school. And it was because I wanted, I had this strong desire to help people. And at that point in time, I thought I wanted to do international law to help people in other countries that didn't have the same kind of um, capabilities or, or freedoms that we do. That's kind of the direction that I thought I was going in. And then when I got into law school and started taking courses, you know, I kind of found my, my way into 
wanting to do criminal defense, taking wrongful convictions classes. I took a death penalty course. I clerked for the ACLU Capital Punishment Project in Durham, North Carolina, um, this summer between my second and third year of law school. And that was very eye-opening. Um, the majority of the cases that they worked on were out of the state of Texas, uh, death penalty cases, no surprise. Um, Texas is pretty pretty high up there with those kinds of cases. But, you know, it's, it's all comes down to this just, this feeling that I have for wanting to, to help and a lot of times as a criminal defense lawyer, you know, uh, people who don't know a lot about criminal law or even other attorneys who don't practice criminal at all, you know, they'll ask, how can you represent people that do these heinous crimes? How can you represent, you know, murderers or, or this or that? And besides the fact that everyone is entitled to representation and needs a lawyer, is entitled to have a lawyer that works hard for them and I think they also should be entitled to a lawyer that cares about them as a person and to show that to the judge or to the trier of fact, to the jury, you know, the kind of person that they are and, and what they've been through. So I guess in a roundabout way, I kind of touched on a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I can't put my finger on a particular moment, aha moment where I was like, this, this is what I am and what I want to do. Other than that, this this feeling inside of me has always been there. Yeah, that's very, that's interesting that it was always there, that it just, to me, that just kind of shows that, you know, we're, we're born with these qualities, like they're embedded in our spirits, you know, and not all of us are, are really good at listening to our spirits. So it was just in college, just this kind of gradual putting the flute down and going towards law. Yeah, you know what's funny is that so I told you that I'm always I've always been kind of an empathetic person. I mean, the kind where I would watch these, I don't know, a short clip or a commercial and I'd be I'd be hooked like, oh my gosh, this poor person or it was like a preview of what's going to come on the news and I you know, tug at my heartstrings already. And I I've always been that way. I'm also a big um, a people person. I was always involved in organizations. I was president of my music service sorority. I was an orientation leader. I was I worked. I was in like tons of, of groups and organizations. And I remember my flute teacher, my professor, telling me, she was like, maybe you shouldn't be involved in so much stuff. Like you're supposed to be practicing six hours a day. Pretty much when you're not in class, you need to be practicing flute. You're a flute performance major. This is what mm -hmm. what you signed up for. And I remember like thinking, well, wow, um, I, I love doing this, but I wasn't as good as a lot of the other flute performers because probably because I didn't practice six hours a day. I wasn't bad by any means, but I realized that I was, I wanted to be more well-rounded and I enjoyed everything that I was involved in. So I would rather do that. And, and, and I guess that started me thinking about after college and what I was going to do. And really as a flute, a flute performance major, I mean, all you can do is audition for symphonies or orchestras. And usually there's only two principal flute players. And then once a person gets into a job, they're in it until they croak basically, or they can't move their fingers anymore. So it's kind of like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> and then you know, I thought about what, what really mattered to me, not just what makes me happy or what I enjoy doing as a hobby, but what was really important to me. 
um, you know, uh, where my passion was. And that kind of led me in, in that direction with law. And then I decided, well, hey, to get into law school, you don't, you just have to have a degree. It doesn't really matter what it's in. So I'm not going to switch majors or go into poli sci or, or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to graduate with my flute degree, take my LSAT and go. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love that. Just yeah, I'm on this path, but I'm going to switch and it's okay. That's very smooth. You know, I, um, I love that because I think a lot of times people are like, no, this is what I said I was going to do. I'm going to force myself to do that. So what, what does it take within you? Obviously there's empathy to be able to represent people who have done crimes that are rather shocking you have to have a lot of patience and you have to have an open ear so many times people it's almost like you're you're a part-time therapist sometimes Mm -hmm. as, as a lawyer because not to take away from what therapists actually do but you you have to be able to be there for the individual and listen to them and so many times they just open up about things that may not even have anything to do with the crime or this is what's going on in my life. This is what's happening. They want somebody to talk to and they want you to listen to them and they want you to fight for them. You know, sometimes you have a client that wants to take a plea or get the case done, you know, and, and a lot of times that happens, but if they want to fight the case, or fight, whatever it is, it could be a contested bond hearing or, you know, a hearing where what's called a motion to revoke probation, where they're on probation already, but they messed it up or they're, and they're looking at going to prison now, something like that. And they want you to speak up for them and fight. That's it. And then there's so many times where you know, it, even if it's not a favorable outcome or result that they wanted, they are so thankful that you put yourself out there and fought for them. It's almost like they're, they're not, I'm not going to say that, you know, they're elated, they're going to prison or, or whatever the outcome is, but they're so, they feel at peace that, you know what, you went out there and you fought for me and nobody's done that for me before. Or, you know, you listened to me and you went out there and you, you argued your butt off or whatever. And they are so appreciative and so thankful. I don't think I've ever, I can't think of a time where I represented somebody and it wasn't a favorable outcome and they were mad at me. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times they may be, they could be upset at the court or, or, or the decision, but they're just so thankful for, for the outcome, because when you put everything out there, I mean, in front of the courts, the judges, if you, if you lay it all out and you cross your T's and dot your I's and do everything you can for your client, they're going to listen to all the evidence and they're going to be reasonable. But if you don't put it out there to begin with, then how are they even going to consider it? You know? Yeah. That's, that's important. That I wrote that down, fight for them, because that just the, the minute you said that, I was like, oh, they're adults or maybe on their way to be. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's adults that you represent. Yes, I do juvenile yeah. sometimes, too, okay. but ma- mainly adults. But, you know, to be an adult and not 
ever have felt like somebody was in your corner, somebody fought for you. That's very telling. It's incredibly telling. And then the other thought that goes in my head is it's criminal defense, but you have to be so vulnerable. Like both of you are being incredibly vulnerable. (laughs) And when you're being vulnerable, there's not a lot of self-defense, you know, that, that, that happens. I mean, that's your, I guess that's what you do. You, you, cause you said you lay it out there. You, you, um, so that takes some serious strength. <laughs> and so what, what happens with you when, when it's not a favorable outcome? Is there a, a process that you have to go through? Yeah. I, so this was a lot more difficult for me at the very beginning when I first started practicing because part of fighting for your client and being in their corner and listening to them is you get somewhat attached to them. I mean, and by attached, I mean, you, you care, you yeah. care for them and you care about what's going to happen. And I remember my first trial that I ever had, uh, most of the time, so you've, you've got misdemeanor cases, which are, you know, like little, they could be petty thefts or misdemeanor, like a assaults, if somebody punched somebody, something like that. You, you, can, you can go to county jail or get probation. And then you've got your felony cases, which are the ones in district court. And your felony cases are the ones where you can go to prison and you can go away for a long time. Um, and those are obviously you supposed to do kind of a step up, do practice more misdemeanors before you do your felonies or whatever. But my first jury trial was a felony. I never had a misdemeanor jury trial before my felony one. And I was six months out of law school and it was a failure to stop and render aid. So basically my guy hit someone with his car, a, a transient that, that came out of nowhere. And it was a complete accident. It, they weren't saying he did it on purpose, but he took off from the scene and the lady ended up dying. Um, it was very sad. So I had, it was my first jury trial. It was a felony and there was a dead victim. So it's, it wasn't a murder case, but the, the emotions were still all there, obviously from, from her her family and my client, the reason he took off, he was not a U.S. citizen. When you're in that kind of situation, um, if you get convicted of particular crimes or any felony or even take a what's called a deferred adjudication probation, you get deported. And that was the case with him. We couldn't take a plea deal because he was going to get deported. So we had to go to trial essentially and roll the dice and see what we can do. And this trial was in front of um, a judge who's, he's not on the bench anymore, but he's very well respected and also a little bit intimidating, very strict, hardcore. And it was, again, my first trial and it was a whole week long. And there was so many things going on because of all the layers. And he was married to a U.S. citizen, had six kids in like in town so I'm like, oh man, you know, my, my heart was aching for his family. Long story short, we ended up going to trial and he got found guilty. Um, the jury gave him probation, but he ended up getting deported. Mm-hmm. And when I gave my closing argument for his punishment, I was in tears talking to the jury. And I, you know, in retrospect, I was like, man, I can't believe I broke down and I was crying in front of the jury. But 
to me, I never want to get to a point where I'm not feeling that inside when I'm fighting for somebody. My hope is to not be in tears and shambles in front of a jury, you know, keep, keep it together and wait until the case is done, which, which I've grown in that respect. I'm able to do that now, you know, I'll go home and cry later. (laughs) But, um, you know, at the very beginning, that was, it was really hard for me because I cared so much about my clients and, um, and I still do. And my husband is, um, it's now two years since he's been a lawyer. So he's, he's a new lawyer and he has that that fire and that passion inside him too. And he does a lot of criminal law also. And we always talk about that. Like we never want to get to a point where you don't care, where you go and you represent someone and you're like, that gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. And you're thinking, oh, okay, all right, well, good luck. You know, I'm going to go home to my family and go have a glass of wine and go to dinner, yeah. you know, and you're going to go to prison. Funny because watching my husband go through it, you know, he's had a couple cases that weren't favorable and he beats himself up about it. And the next morning he'll wake up and he'll be like, man, you know, still talking about that yeah. outcome. And I'm like, honey, you spent so much time on the case. You did everything you could. You fought your heart out, you know, and that that's all you can do. And it's, it's hard as a criminal defense lawyer, because you've got the cards stacked up against you most of the time. Um, just, I mean, that's just the way it is. It, it usually, you don't always get favorable outcomes. Sometimes you do. Um, you have to swallow a lot of the losses sometimes. Um, you know, and I'm not saying it, I've represented plenty of clients that didn't, that were, that were innocent or like, I didn't, I didn't do the crime. I was wrong place, wrong time or yada, yada, yada. And um, it, in those kinds of cases, we always try to get the case dismissed or, you know, I talk with a prosecutor, hey, this is what happened. And then usually we can get them resolved somehow without having to go to trial. But sometimes, you know, we do go to trial in these kinds of cases. But, you know, I, one thing to kind of go back to what you were asking, what, what a lawyer in, that does this needs, what kind of qualities they need or what they need to do. One thing we're really big on too, and that's very important to me, is telling my clients, I'm never going to make you take a plea deal or do anything you don't want to do because this is your life. You're going to suffer the consequences um, if there are any, and it's got to be your decision. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you legal advice. I'm going to tell you what the evidence is. I'm going to tell you if you want my opinion, what I think. I can't tell you what's going to happen because I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. Um, you never know what a jury's going to do, but this is kind of my gut feeling or my inclination, or this is what it looks like, but I can't, you know, of course it's, it's your decision. And there's been so many times where, you know, you meet or you have clients who had prior cases and they're like, Oh, well, I just took this plea deal before. Cause my lawyer told me to, or, mm-hmm. you know, just because I wanted to get out of jail that happens a lot, especially with little like misdemeanor cases. If somebody can't afford their bond and they're telling me, uh, you know, they're being offered a probation, I'll take it. You know, where's the paperwork? Let me sign it. I have a family to support. I have people out there and, you know, and, and in the conversation right before that, they're telling me they didn't do it, you know, and that, that's, that's tough. I always tell them, look, this is, this is your choice and it's your life. I can't tell you what to do or what not to do. But you got to think of the ramifications, you know, you're going to plea out to this case that you're going to have a conviction on your record for the rest of your life. 
you know, you're going to have this or that, or, you know, what, whatever, but th that's really hard to see. And it happens actually quite a bit, you know, with people just because they want to hurry up and get their case done and get out. What do you do for self-care? <laughs> if that's such a thing. <laughs> well, yes. And, and I have, we have four kids also. You can probably hear <laughs> screaming in the background. That's our baby. He's 20 months. Oh. Um, but, you know, it's really great having the opportunity to have our own law firm, which is what me and my husband have. We just work for ourselves. And um, I do some contract work for another lawyer sometimes, but we're able to kind of finagle our schedules if we don't have court to be able to take care of what we need to do. And if I get an opportunity or I'm like, like today, I don't have anything particularly set. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to work from home to do little things that I need to do. And I'm going to stay in my hoodie and hang out here, you know, yes. and, and that is nice. Um, but when I get, if I get the opportunity, you know, once in a blue moon, I like to get a massage or something like that, something to yeah. relax. My husband likes to go on trips. Obviously, we haven't really done that very much with pandemic and whatnot, but um, just spending time with, with my kids and my family, it's, I have to take a step back sometimes and look at, even though, you know, my world is crazy and my kids might be screaming at each other and this and that, um, but just to take a step back and appreciate what you have, especially yeah. in times like this, that's been on the forefront of my mind quite a bit, um, you know, especially since the, the pandemic, but just really appreciating what you have. And that I, I think is almost a way of, it's not, I guess, technically self-care, but it, it makes me feel good when, when I do that. And having that kind of mentality um, of just being grateful and appreciative. You know, when I think back when I was a little girl you know, what did I, what did I always want? You know, and I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have a good career. And, you know, a couple of months ago, I was sitting back thinking like, I have everything <laughs> that I wanted, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's cool to realize that. And it, it was also a little bit scary. I'm like, oh my gosh, what now? Or, what if something happens, you know, it, it's almost like it, it's scary to have what you, what you wanted, you know, but it's, uh, it's very humbling to think about it like that. And I feel very, very blessed, you know, especially because, you know, I've talked about my mom at the beginning and she's always been, uh, she never went to college. Uh, when I went to school as a first generation college student, I can't say I am anymore because my dad went back and got his degree, um, after hey. school, which was pretty cool. He got yes. his I remember going to his graduation at Del Mar and then he got um, his bachelor's at Texas A&M Corpus Christi and then he has a master's too. And I've watched my mom be in these like administrative positions her whole life, like secretarial type work. But I see sometimes like she has, I feel like there's so much potential there and she's so smart and the person that I go to for advice or hey, what do you think I should do about this or that? She's my sounding board. And it almost feels <laughs> wrong in a way that I have this career or 
you know, or have more of an income than she does, you know, and she, because she didn't have the opportunity like I did to go to school. Um, and then her mom before her, my grandma was a cotton picker out mm. in Chapman Ranch. I mean, went to school for like third grade and dropped out to pick cotton for her family. So it's crazy to think that, you know, the I'm here on the backbone of my ancestors and my parents, you know, and everybody. And I feel really, really blessed to have had the opportunity to even go to school and be, you know, who I am today, which is pretty neat. Yeah, it is. Was it always assumed that you were going to go to college with your mom um, coming for where, where she came from? Was that like, no, my kids are going to school? Yeah, it was, but she didn't tell us like that. It wasn't mm. like you're going to college. It was just kind of assumed. And um, so when my whole family and extended family, everyone's here in Corpus, except for my dad's aunts and uncles and whatnot are from, they're in Mexico. I grew up here till I was 12. And then my dad got transferred with his job to a place called Friendswood, which is outside of Houston. And uh, Friendswood was very, that's where I graduated high school. And there, like everybody went to college. That's just the kind of the environment that it was. And when you were a senior, you were never asked, like, are you going to college? The question was always, where are you going? And that kind of was just the environment, I guess, that it was. And so we all, uh, you know, my sister, my brother, we all went to college and got our degrees. And my sister's a physical therapist. She has her doctorate's degree. My brother has a marketing degree. He's like a digital media and design specialist for a Catholic school here a local school. I mean, we just went to school. We went to college because that's what you did. I'm grateful to have parents that kind of instilled that in us without, without it feeling like it was like a punishment or it was mandatory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just because they didn't have, my mom was super smart and got into colleges, but she was the firstborn. Um, she was the oldest child. And it was like, when she graduated high school, my grandma was like, Oh no, you can't leave. And, and then, so she got married at 18, 19, instead of, you know, she yeah. got married to her dad instead of going off to college. So that kind of was one thing that, that stuck with her is that she was never going to tell us, oh, that's too far or don't go here or don't go there. Um, or can you go somewhere closer? We all went to Texas Tech, which was like a nine hour drive. Yeah. And we only came home for like extended holidays, basically. So um, not even, we wouldn't come home for Easter because it wasn't worth it for three days. We'd always spend Easter with friends about, about college. So, um, I know that was hard for them. And when I went to law school, I went to the university of Missouri. So that was even farther. And then one summer I studied abroad in Cape town, South Africa. And that, when I left for that trip, she was kind of a little bit <sighs> emotional about that. Cause I was going to Africa and it, I think it freaked her out a little bit, but she didn't want to say that. <laughs> But yeah. that kind of was, I guess that made her be a little bit more um, or very cognizant about wanting to be open to encourage us to go, go wherever. Yeah. And, and that being said, my parents didn't have, I mean, they didn't have the funds to send us to school. I mean, we all have like student loans and whatnot, but mm -hmm. they at least set that platform for us and encouraged us to do that and, and to go make something of ourselves because they didn't have that opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So tell me some things that being in criminal defense, this creating space for other people, being vulnerable, um, empathy first, what are some life lessons that that's taught you? That everybody is somebody and everybody has value and that there's people out there that have been through some really crazy hard stuff that you would never even imagine. And it gives you a sense of gratitude, <laughs> um, but also it puts things in perspective quite a bit as well. I had a person that I recently represented who um, he had some mental issues. I mean, he understood everything that was going on, but his cognitive ability, his reactions to things were not always great. <laughs> so, and, and he knew that that was a problem he had and that was why he kept getting in trouble. Well, it turned out when he was 10 years old and he was asleep in his bed, his stepfather who suffered from PTSD, he was an ex-Marine, came into his room and beat him in the head with a baseball bat. Um, and he has like, he was in a coma for like a month. And after that, you know, obviously he's, he suffers from cognitive difficulties was this big issue. And he had just kept getting in trouble ever since. And it's almost, it was one of these things where, you know, you think about it and you're like, why are we punishing somebody for something that they didn't ask for? You know, that we can't help. But at the same time, you know, and the state has a duty and obligation to keep society safe, you know, and he knows what he's doing. He just mm -hmm. has trouble with his reactions. And um, I had come to find out that he had, he had never told his prior attorney and never told the court about what happened to him as a little boy because it was hard for him to talk about. And he has PTSD from it. So when I found out about it, I had to have a conversation with him and say, hey, you know, we need to let them know about this. This goes a lot towards, you know, on paper, you look like this little jerk who doesn't want to behave and just is, you know, picking fights and doing this and that, but there's more to it, you know, and this is something, and it was, it was a, a touchy subject because he would, you know, it's like he could snap whenever you would start talking about it. So we had to kind of have this conversation Ooh. and then tell him, this is what I'm going to say, or do you, or is this okay with you? Do you feel like you need to be out of the room or get off the zoom when we do this or, or whatever? And, you know, it, I think just getting that information out there just did wonders. And we had someone uh, come evaluate him, a, a doctor, so that they could explore that even further and we could have it in a report. And that helped because the state went from wanting to send him to prison for 15 years to we sent him to uh, a cognitive program, a 90-day program, and continued him on his probation, which we were able to get because we bring out, you uh -huh. know, we brought out all that information. But I guess my my point is, is that there's usually always, always something. And if there isn't something traumatic or something that happened to them, you know, that whoever you're representing still wants to be heard and they still want you to fight for them. A lot of things that we try to do too, um, when we represent individuals, especially if they're young, is to give them some hope and some try to inspire them or motivate them to do something with their lives you know yeah. um I've represented young females sometimes one in particular somewhat recently who was like man I want to be like you I want to do you know I want to 
have a career. I want to, she had all these aspirations that she's telling me and I'm telling her, do it. You can do it. You know, we ended up being able to resolve her cases where, you know, the majority were dismissed. And then she had one left over where she was going to do a program and then it was going to be dismissed. So I'm telling her, you can get your record expunged. You can go to school. You can be this. You are a good person. You have a good heart. You're smart. Um, you know, I want to show everyone, you know, at least the people it, that I come in contact with and I'm able to work for, um, that they can do it. You know, you can push yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. Uh, it's not always going to be easy. We've definitely had, you know, there's been some times where, uh, you know, I come home and have a little breakdown and think, can I do this? And then cry it out and then get up and wake up the next day and say, all right, what do I need to do next? You know? <laughs> yeah, that makes me teary. I love that. I mean, it's just, it's really admirable. And as I, I wrote down the word stories, because you are telling the stories of people, you know, it's not just a crime. It's their stories There's so much of their life that um, is wrapped up in that one, that one moment in time, you know, where they may or may not have broken the law. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to hear your story about how you, you got to where you are and um, the wisdom that you've gleaned from all these people. And I just, I really appreciate that very much, Selena. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, want, I wanted to mention uh, one other thing that's kind of funny. Um, so most of the time, people that are in the criminal field start out as prosecutors. That's kind of a way to get your feet wet with getting trial experience and getting in there. And I never started out as a prosecutor. I always went straight into defense. I'm very thankful for that. And, and I, I don't regret it one bit, but it, it's funny because um, growing up, I was very much, and I still am, role follower. I was like a teacher's pet. I would, I've never been in trouble. Like I wasn't, I never got um, detention. I think one time in pre-K, like my whole table was being loud and they wrote, the teacher wrote all our names on the board and I had a breakdown. And then she ended up erasing mine because I wasn't, I wasn't talking. She just wrote the whole table's name down. Um, but I've, I've always been this person who always, I laugh because I can't, uh, I can't tell a lie to save my life. Like I'm very, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like if something's bothering me, you're going to know. That's just kind of the, the person that I am. But then I end up representing these people who are not necessarily like that. Some people, um, you know, or have done these crimes or things. And uh, when I first started out, um, I had to go ask my boss, like, they, they would say these terms to me and I would pretend that I knew what I was, they were talking about and I'd write them down. And I'm like, okay, you know, and this is me. I mean, the person who's never like smoked pot, like I literally, I've never done. <laughs> and, and I'm over here writing it down and keeping a straight face. And then I'm asking my boss, like, what's an eight ball of drugs? Like, what is this? Like, what does this mean? I don't, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but it, it's funny and it's ironic. And I don't know how to, <laughs> I try to make sense of it in my head, like why I'm, you know, I'm this kind of person, but I have a heart for representing these different kind of people, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very fulfilling and very rewarding. Um, you know, even if I just help 
one person that I come across, you know, um, or I, or I give one little person a boost, you know, it makes it all worth it. And that, that one client I had that got deported my first jury trial, um, his family still calls me every now and then one of his, his daughter called me a couple months ago. (laughs) Yeah. With like a, just on like a legal matter or question, but she's like, Oh, we always talk about you and yada, yada, yada. They're still like, so grateful and happy with what I did, even though their dad is in Mexico, you know, (laughs) but you fought for him. Right. Right. And then that's it, you know, and that just makes me it makes me feel good that I'm making a little bit of a difference to somebody. Yes. You know? Yeah, you are. You are. It, it, people, people who give of themselves, they're always like one person. If I can just help one person. And every time I interview somebody, I'm like, oh, man, I hope they realize they're helping hundreds because even if it was that one person, just the ripples and the waves, you know, that's created from that. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, it, what's next for you? Do you see yourself just, this is what my last question. Do you see yourself doing this? You have your sights on other things? Um, I do. So yeah. I'm running for judge for the 117th district court. Um, election is next November. So got a little ways to go, but I'm very excited about this. And when I was talking to you about my my rule following and the way I am personally, you know, and um, how that coincides with this other part of me that is empathetic. When I think of the role or position of a judge and somebody who presides over cases, I think it's a perfect mix. Um, and I think that's what I'm meant to do. And I feel like that's my calling. And I'm so excited to do this and be on this journey um, campaigning and trying to, to get there. Um, it's been really cool and very eye-opening and it's given me some great experience and just getting out there and meeting people in the community, which I've always been home with my brood of children. So (laughs) now being able to, you know, essentially I'm having to, to, to go and be out and do things. Um, it's been incredibly rewarding, like more than I thought it would be. I didn't know how much I would enjoy the campaign process, but I'm, enjoying everyone that I've met and what I've learned and all these cool organizations and people out there. It's been really, really neat to get to know my community. And in doing so, I feel like I've already kind of, I'm already up ahead. Win or lose, no matter what happens, I feel like I'm, I'm experiencing all the positive things that I can from this and and I've already won, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this time. I appreciated getting to know you as a person. So thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I'm very yes. excited and humbled that you asked me to be here. So thank oh, you. you're thank welcome. You. All right. You have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Our music is Dance Around the Campfire by Julius H. 